0: Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 45. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught with one who has authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in that synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening, at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. As I've gotten older, I guess something I've always known... Um, but uh, about myself, but it, it, I'm just starting to realise uh, the enormity of what it means for me, I, I've actually discovered a disturbing truth about myself. I don't think I'm very Australian. Um, the typical Australian is a sports lover, you see, and for a bloke, that means that you get hooked on, on watching cricket and football of the various codes, and I just don't do that. I, I, I never have. Um, The reason our sports stars are paid enormous salaries is because of the income that the sports generate, the the advertising dollar generally generated by spectators, and most of them who are just watching from the air-conditioned comfort of their own homes. And you see, because I'm so un-Australian, I just don't get it. Um, The the excitement, the enthusiasm, the cheering on from the armchair, the the cheers of victory at scoring a try as if somehow it's a result of the exuberance emanating from my little lounge room at home. Um, Yeah, we've done it! Um, I might be describing some of you here, am I? Um, And of course, because I'm so thoroughly un-Australian, nor do I understand the comments from spectators when things don't go so well, a catch is dropped and, oh, come on, you're useless, or a pass is mistimed and the receiver fumbles and the ball is lost, oh, what are you doing? You know, as if the one passing comment would be far better off at, on the field than the person who was actually there. And then, of course, it comes the post-match or the post-season analytics, as once again, the armchair experts and the masters of the remote discuss who's good, who's useless, who needs to get his act into gear, who needs to stay, who needs to go, who should be captain and who needs to retire. But what particularly bemuses me is the way the master of the remote finds absolutely no disparity, no incongruity in the way that they can be so scathing and so condemning of what are essentially very talented and very hard-training sportsmen and women who have risen through the ranks to be able to compete at a national level, while all they've managed to do is master the remote. Um, Now, I guess that's the difference between a participant and a spectator. And as the gospel of Mark unfolds, we're going to be exposed to essentially three groups of people the follower or the disciple of Jesus, the opposition to Jesus, and the hordes of spectators. And as we study this book of Mark, I reckon that you and I are going to have to constantly grapple with the question, am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I a follower of Jesus? Or am I just a spectator? And we'll discover at the conclusion of Mark, That the spectators, far from being any kind of followers of Jesus, are actually the opposition to Jesus. So in the early stages of this book, as we're reading it, it might appear that there's three groups of people. But at the end, as we encounter the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus, we're going to discover that there's only two groups. The followers of Jesus and those who are against Jesus. So, let's pick up where we left off last week. Jesus' home country was up in the north of Israel, right? He came from Nazareth in the land of Galilee. Uh, But then he headed south to Judah, right? So he's headed down into the Bible Belt, into Judah. Uh, Jerusalem was the religious capital, and Jerusalem's in Judah. But once John the Baptist was arrested, the time had arrived for Jesus to begin preaching. And Mark picks up the story back up in the north again, back up in Jesus' home district of Galilee. And Jesus there is preaching pretty much the same message that John the Baptist was preaching. Um, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And as he walks along the Sea of Galilee, the shore of the sea, he comes across two brothers, fishermen, fishing with a net and he says to Simon who we later on know as Peter he has a name change a bit later but he says to Simon and Andrew follow me and I will make you become fishers of men and immediately they left their nets and followed him and going on a little further he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were in their boat mending the nets And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Isn't that incredible? Come on, follow me. And away away they went. Now, when Luke told the story of the calling of the disciples, he fills it out a bit more for us. He gives us more information. He revealed the details such as the fishermen actually heard Jesus teach. And then he sent them out and they had this miraculous catch of fish before he called them to follow him. And so Luke, he builds a bit of a picture of why these disciples would drop everything to follow Jesus. They've already heard him teach. They've already seen his miracles. And for us, as we're reading the Gospel of Mark, we probably have some of this background knowledge in our heads as well. But that's not the story that Mark is telling. Yes, it's true. These things happen. But what Mark is trying to get across to his readers and what Mark sees as important and he wants to get us to understand is the call of Jesus to follow him and how we should respond to it. When Jesus calls, what is required is immediate action. The immediate response of dropping everything that we once saw as important. And doing exactly what he's called us to do follow him. Immediately they left the nets and followed him. Now you might think that's crazy. I and mean, these blokes, these employees, these businessmen leaving their jobs, leaving their businesses, leaving their livelihood to follow someone who they hardly even knew. That sounds crazy. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is an echo of verse 15. Verse 15, we're told, repent and believe, and now we're learning, leave and follow. Repent and believe, leave and follow. Now, that doesn't mean that we all have to leave our jobs. Although, if there's anyone here who's a drug dealer, that's probably a good start on your Christian walk. Quit your job, okay? Um... We don't all have to leave our businesses, but we do all have to leave something. Anything that distracts us from the call of God has to go. One of the saddest times in my life was when I realised that my plan for one day owning my own farm was something that had to go so that I could follow Jesus where he was leading me. Because for me, God's plan was different to my plan. I had all of my plans. This is what I'm going to do, this, 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 and this over the next few years. But I soon realized that to follow God's plan for my life, I had to leave behind my dream. I had to leave behind my plan and follow him in his. But you see, when Jesus calls us, he calls us with a purpose. Jesus doesn't call us for who we are. He calls us for what we will become. Right? Jesus didn't call Andrew and Simon because they were fishers of men. Jesus called just simple, ordinary, probably uneducated fishermen and he said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Here's a a very important truth about being a disciple of jesus not only do we repent and leave stuff behind when we first begin to follow jesus as we continue to follow jesus the holy spirit is going to be doing his continuing transformational work in our lives as we become the new creations that god wants us to be in fact I'd be so blunt as to say that if I'm still pretty much the same person as what I was 10 years ago, I'm probably more of a spectator than what I am, a disciple of Jesus. And I'd be blunt enough to say that about you too. If you're still pretty much the same person as what you were 10 years ago, you're probably more of a spectator than what you are, a disciple of Jesus. You see, being a disciple of Jesus is all about becoming it's not about remaining. It's about becoming. As, as disciples of Jesus, as, as his disciples walked day by day with Jesus, he taught and they learned. He did and they copied. He led and they followed, learning all the time as they did. That's how Jesus made them become fishers of men. Because that's what Jesus was. Jesus was a fisher of men. And being with Jesus, he made them to become like himself. And as we walk day by day with Jesus, he will make us to become more and more like him in all sorts of ways. You see, spectators are those who are content to be. They're content to remain as they are but the disciples are those who become. So, uh, biblical scholars make a bit of a point that what Jesus is doing here, uh, calling individuals to follow him, is pretty much in line with what a rabbi of the day would do. Right? You've all heard of a rabbi before. Um, what is a rabbi? Jesus gets called a rabbi a few times in this gospel. They, they address, people address him as rabbi. What is a rabbi? Well, later on in history, not terribly far after this was written, rabbi actually became a religious office, all right? So somebody would get ordained to become a rabbi after they'd been trained appropriately. But at this stage, that wasn't so. At this stage, the term rabbi was a title of respect. It was a title of honour. It meant master. All right, so it would be like an apprentice scribe or an apprentice teacher of the law would sit under the teaching of a respected scribe or under a respected teacher of the law and they would call their teacher rabbi. But there was something different about Jesus. There's something that set Jesus apart from the other scribes and teachers of the law, the other rabbis. The first thing that set him apart was probably the sort of people that he would call to follow him. Uh, to the p- sorts of people he would call to be his disciples. Jesus didn't go for the cream of the crop. Um, I don't want to offend anybody here, but I'm going to tell you this. J- Jesus doesn't go for the cream of the crop. You can tell just by looking at me. He chose somebody like me. Jesus just t- chose, asked, pe- t- called people to follow him who were just ordinary old country lads of little or no distinction, little or no education. They were rough lads, fishermen, zealots, tax collectors. That's the sort of people Jesus chose to follow him. Um, Respected scribes and teachers of the law would choose no such people to follow them the second thing that taught that set jesus apart though and this is the main thing that this is getting at here in in mark is the source of his authority when jesus taught in the synagogues they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not like what the scribes did right jesus taught nothing like the scribes how did the scribes teach well pretty much like academics of today teach Most scholars today build on the work of others, right? So if anybody here has ever had to write an assignment for a university course, you know what I'm talking about. Actually, even if you've ever had to write an assignment for a high school course, you should know what I'm talking about here. You just can't pull facts just out of the air and just assume, well, everybody knows this. You actually need to reference your quote and say, quote some learned individual who actually stated that before you to prove that you're actually saying the right thing. Um, and the scribes did this. The scribes would quote the great rabbis as precedent for their teaching, right? So they'd get up and say, "Well, Rabbi so-and-so said this, and Rabbi so-and-so said that. And everybody would go, ooh, that must be true because somebody really respected has said these things. And they'd hang the hat on what this well-respected rabbi had said. And that would be how they would teach. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't quote the great well-known rabbis. He just spoke straight from the word of God. And he spoke with authority. And they were learning new things. And his teaching wasn't his only authority. Jesus had spiritual authority. You know... Wherever the gospel is preached, Satan does his darndest to try and disrupt it. And as soon as people began to recognise the authority of Jesus, immediately there was in that synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. Would you look at that? A man possessed by a demon right there in the synagogue. What would a demon be doing in the house of God? Did you know that even in a church, demons seek to disrupt? There was a man in that synagogue, he'd he'd probably been there for years, we don't know, we're not told, but even though he was possessed by a demon, he could quite happily attend And not be challenged but when Jesus got up to preach he heard a teacher with whom he had nothing in common and so he cried out against Jesus and Jesus said shut up come out of him now some of you sorry Sammy (laughs) <laughs> some of you might go oh that's harsh language Jesus would never say anything like that because look my Bible says be silent or be quiet or something like that when we actually look back into the original Greek um, a, a far better translation of that word that, that is used to be quiet is more like what we would say to someone shut up and that's the way Jesus spoke to that demon and we shouldn't be naive We need to be aware that in many churches today, not only do unrepentant sinners go unchallenged, but pure evil manages to go unchallenged. The teaching can be so corrupt, the teaching can be so distorted, the gospel that's preached can be so anemic that pure evil goes unchallenged. But when the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ is preached... And when it's preached with authority, when the word of God is taught with authority, evil cannot stand it. When the authority of the word of God challenges us and cuts us to the very core of our being, we cannot remain unmoved. At the word of God, we either repent or we flee. Disciples of Jesus repent enemies of Jesus make a ruckus and flee and this this is true on many levels the gospel message preached with Holy Spirit power will challenge every single one of us it will challenge you it will challenge me if we want to turn up to church and not be challenged we're in the wrong church When the gospel is preached, it will offend us. I will be offended at times. You will be offended at times. Because it will rip away every last remnant, every last vestige of that self-deceptive image of self-righteousness that we tend to clothe ourselves with. The gospel will just tear it all away and it will keep bearing it as God reveals stuff that we need to repent of in our lives and turn over to him. And so, when the word of God is taught with power, we'll either repent or we'll flee. Flee to find another preacher who's not so hard on us. Flee to find a gospel that's not going to challenge me and demand that I change. But this man, possessed by pure evil, he knew who Jesus was. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Well, of course, the answer to those questions are yes. Um, Yes, I have come to destroy you. Yes, I am the Holy One of God. Uh, But Jesus didn't say that. Um. because it seems that this early on Jesus didn't want the publicity nor do I think that he really wanted the testimony of demons either not when he can have the testimony of God but you know some people today feel that they deserve a few brown spiritual brownie points because yeah I believe in God you know it's, Folk, you've you've had conversations with them. Yeah, I believe in God. You want to talk about Jesus and and, and talk about your belief with them? And they sort of dismiss it. Yeah, I believe in God. Well, guess what? Even the demons believe in God and they shudder. Some spectators believe in Jesus, all right, but they're not followers of Jesus, they're not disciples of Jesus. Anyway. Jesus commanded the demon to come out of him, and with convulsions and a loud cry, out it came. And that made the people even more amazed and perplexed. What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Right? From this point on, the people are starting to realise, hey, there's something really special about this bloke Jesus. But they didn't connect the dots. We've got spectators beginning to gather, but when Jesus taught and when he drove demons out, the response was wonder. It didn't lead them to believe. It led them to wonder. Wow. You know, I've, I've heard it said, A number of times you know if God will just do this then I'll be a believer right if God just does this miracle then I'll be a believer if God does that then I'll follow him all my days no you won't and that's what the gospel of Mark is very clear about here those who follow Jesus when he calls will become believers whereas most of the people will just come along for a bit of a look um, because they've seen a sign and they'll just remain spectators. They might be filled with wonder for a time, but their wonder doesn't move them to believe. Right, next scene. It's moving on fast, so we will too. Immediately, he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Immediately, they then told Jesus how Simon's mother in law was crooked with a high fever. And here we get to see Mark's first recorded miraculous healing by Jesus. And with the fever gone, she gets up to serve Jesus. And I guess that's an example of thankful devotion. Disciples of Jesus will have a thankful devotion to Jesus. But then, of course, like flies to the honeypot, along come the spectators. And the whole city was there on their doorstep. He healed many. Now, by the way, it doesn't say here that he healed everybody. It says he healed many. And he cast out many demons. Once again, doesn't say he cast out all the demons. Uh, he may have, but it, all it says is he cast out many. Next scene. Jesus gets up early in the morning while it's still dark. Uh, some of us are quite used to that, get up in the morning while it's still dark. Some of you are going... Is that even possible? Um, put your hand up if you've never gotten up while it's still dark. N- nobody's, nobody's willing to own up to that. Okay. But why did you get up while it was still dark? To head o- out to a desolate place to pray. How many have gotten up in the dark with the express purpose of going out into the bush to have a prayer with no one around? Put your hand up. has? yeah? No, no, no. Chasing a fly there. (laughs) Uh, Okay. No, not many of us do. Uh, No matter how busy we are, no matter how engrossed we are in what we're doing, even if it's ministry, we need to take time to pray. Uh, It was Martin Luther we were talking about this at men's bible study now i couldn't remember who said it and i looked it up it was martin luther who famously said i have so much to do that i must spend the first three hours in prayer huh? there's a man who at some level he knew this is what we need to do god i need the strength of god in this i'm just going to pray uh, but jesus's prayer time was interrupted the disciples found him everyone's looking for you Um, why'd they come looking for him? Well, because the spectators wanted to see more. Um, That's the thing about spectators. Um, The football season gets longer and longer. The cricket season gets longer and longer, doesn't it? Why? Because spectators want to see more. And um, some of you are very happy with that, and that's fine. Uh, But Jesus' purpose wasn't to provide a spectacle. Jesus' purpose was to preach. And so he says, no, I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to another town because my, I have come to preach. So he moved from town to town, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. But when Jesus healed the leper and the healed leper couldn't keep quiet about it, the news spread and Jesus was instantly famous. People came flocking to him from all over the place. And it got that way that if he wanted to enter a town, he had to do it incognito or risk getting mobbed. Okay. So that's got us through the Bible reading. That's as far as we're going to go today. And we can read this. And can you pick up on some of the excitement, the building excitement as as these crowds are starting to build and all these people are starting to flock toward Jesus? And I can just imagine how maybe the disciples might have felt about these increasing numbers and the growing popularity of jesus i mean jesus had chosen to call them and they'd risked a lot starting to follow him right in the early stages hey like okay we'll just drop everything and follow you and you can imagine they're starting to feel yeah we've done the right thing look everybody's starting to flock to jesus and you can just imagine can't you how they'd be getting so excited about what's happening But Jesus knew where it was all headed. Jesus knew the crowds. Jesus knew they weren't followers. They weren't disciples. They were spectators. Of course, there would have been a few followers amongst them. But most of them were tire kickers, rubberneckers, spectators. Just there for a look. that's where we're gonna leave it today but it leaves us with some questions are we disciples of Jesus or are we spectators what's the focus of what we do at church is is our aim here to provide entertainment to provide a spectacle that'll draw people along for a look or is it a place for disciples of Jesus to worship is it a place for disciples of Jesus to be taught and to grow In the ways of following Jesus what about our lives what's the focus of our lives to be right to remain as we are or to become to be what we are and how we are to be focused on achieving our dreams or is our focus on what we are to become more like the Christ whom we follow are we disciples of Jesus? Or are we just spectators? And I thought we might talk about it, if you don't mind. Um, and I got some sheets out. Robin, could you hand some sheets out? I thought we've got a couple of questions down the bottom. Um, I thought if any if we just take a little bit of time to think about it now, then we might even have a bit of a talk about it. Um, but I also ask Robin if she'd do this in the ladies Bible study and we'll do it in the men's Bible study if we think about these questions some more and we'll talk about it some more when we've actually had time to, to think about it and pray about it um, the two questions down the bottom how does Jesus want me to be more of a disciple and less of a spectator and how does following Jesus take me from what I am or what I was what he wants me to become so i'll just give folk a few moments to read that and think about it and if anyone's brave enough stick your hand up or, or just come straight out to the mic and and share your answer if you're willing